verse 1. Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, a church that, as you know, had, um, had many difficulties and problems. I think um, we struggle with the church at Corinth because um, their problems were written out for the whole world throughout all eternity to know. I mean, if, if every church's problems were written out for everybody to know, we'd all probably be in the same boat as the church at Corinth. But they, they made some remarkable changes and had genuine repentance. And Paul wrote them again and addressed some other things. And some of it had to do with his own life that some said, who is Paul that he has any business telling us anything? And yet, um, God had used him in that church in a mighty way. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, <clears throat> for I am jealous of you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom, ye have, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet am I not in knowledge. <clears throat> but if we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things... He goes on and, and talks about the aspect of um, his ministry to them, that um, he didn't take personal funds and so on. But in this passage, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul alludes to a fact that we touched on just briefly last week, that God views the church. One of the analogies that he does is as the bride of Christ, which he identifies it as. Revelation chapter 19, there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And yet he uses that analogy, and we were reminded of this analogy Wednesday night in our study, How People Change that he uses the analogy that we are married to Christ. That is uh, sometimes something hard for us to, to come to grips with. It's hard for us to, wait a minute, we know what marriage is, and um, we know some of the struggles, we know some of the joys of marriage, but I don't know, the way we know marriage in this life, and God uses marriage to portray his relationship to us. Is that a 
Is that a proper portrayal of it? Well, it really is. God knows what he's doing in all his ways. And um, in in portraying that, if there's a problem with it, it's how we view it. And it's very important for us to go back and understand, as Paul is bringing out, he's speaking to people, they understand the background of this, but it's important for us to go back and understand what, when Jesus was speaking to them, the relationship of the understanding of their mind. A Jewish wedding, we've, uh, we've alluded to this before, but a Jewish wedding involved... Uh, Quite a process. Um, in ancient Jewish culture, a man initiated the process of getting married uh, by going to the prospective bride on the condition that she would um, accept his offer and, and reciprocate um, his pledge of love. But he would come with the proposal. So first of all, there there was this proposal. I'll just walk through the Jewish aspect of it, and then I'll come back and make application to us. Needless to say, it wouldn't go anywhere if there wasn't an acceptance. So a man would take the initiative. He would go make the proposal that involved... Um, in some cases, in many cases in Jewish history, it involved the dowry to be paid um, to the bride, prospective bride's father or family. There, if everyone was in agreement, there would be the acceptance, the saying of yes, and then there would be a betrothal ceremony. There would be the covenanting together. And this was especially true in first century Jewish marriages. Um, the full wedding ceremony wouldn't take place until sometime later, but there would be a public betrothal ceremony where this man and this woman were making promises to each other, covenanting together, and um, and identified as husband and wife. <clears throat> that would be a public display of this. Then there would be, after this, a betrothal period. Um, oftentimes up to a year or even a more, more than a year, where um, in this period, the husband-to-be, which was already identified as a husband, would go and prepare the place of dwelling, go and prepare the wife would stay in her home. She would take necessary steps preparing for marriage. I don't know all that was involved, but for example, if she didn't know how to cook very well, she was learning how to cook or whatever. But preparing, gathering things, preparing for for the wedding. Um, there often was in in the Jewish ceremony a betrothal gift that 
the groom would give to show the sincerity of his promise, the sincerity that um, this is my promise to you, and this can be your reminder of that. And then at an unannounced time, the groom would come to take his bride. He would return and take his bride. They would have the consummation of the marriage, a grand, glorious celebration, a magnificent wedding celebration that the families and the friends would join in together and rejoice in together. Now, this was, this was in the mind of all these people. And even to the point when Paul writes to them and says, I have betrothed you to one husband, and I desire to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He's writing this to the believers. He's writing this to the church. And we see the similarities of it. Making the analogy, if you haven't already, Christ, the groom, initiated coming to us. We did not initiate it. Christ initiated this. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came with, if you please, a proposal that Jesus Christ died for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins And if we accept his proposal, we have forgiveness of sin, we become betrothed to him. We become in a covenant relationship to him. But it's dependent upon us accepting it, saying yes. Um, The betrothal ceremony, publicly identifying What do we publicly identify that I have accepted the offer of Christ? It's through baptism. Publicly identifying. Well, then there is this period. We are in a covenant relationship with Christ, but it hasn't been fully consummated. And there's this period, but he's given us this gift The gift of his spirit. It is the seal. It is the earnest. Um, The Holy Spirit is the earnest. Earnest money. How many of you have ever bought a house and you put some earnest money down? That that meant, I'm serious about this. I'm going to put $1,000 down. I'm going to make an offer on this. And I'm serious about this. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, the Bible says, the, the seal of our salvation. He is the gift to us to prove that Jesus Christ is serious in this covenant that he is in with us. And we now await the day. No man knows the day or the hour. Just like the bride did not know when, when the groom would come, she was to busy herself, she was to be ready Now we await the return of Christ. We don't know the day or the hour. 
and Revelation 19. We, we're not going to take the time, but you can go there and read. Revelation 19, there will be a glorious consummation of this union, the marriage supper of the Lamb, a wonderful feast celebrating this, that we are one with Christ. So, when Paul says to these believers, he said, I brought to you the proposal of Christ. You accepted it. You are in a covenant agreement with Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm, I'm writing this unto you because I want you to remain faithful to our Savior. I want to be able to present you as a, a pure virgin, he says, to the Savior. And he's using these terminologies here to help us to identify um, that we are married to Christ, that we are in agreement with Christ. See, this whole Jewish ceremony, um, Joseph and Mary of the Christmas story were in an agreement, in a covenant agreement. They were considered husband and wife. Although they had not consummated their marriage, they hadn't, they hadn't um, come down to the final steps of this. And that's why Joseph was concerned about this. Wait a minute, she, is, she has not kept this covenant. And Paul was concerned about it in relation to the believers at Corinth. It's a... It's a concern for us today. If you are here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we indeed are waiting for the bridegroom. What does it mean to be waiting for the bridegroom? I want to just mention four things here today. Number one, if you are waiting for the bridegroom, it was alluded to this Wednesday night in our study. You would have a desire to get to know the groom. I don't know. I haven't read in detail about it. But I, I would assume if here was a Jewish girl that is in a covenant agreement with a man to be his wife, that she would have a desire to know all that she can during this time before they come together. I mean, I can only imagine um, to find out, get the recipes from his mother of his favorite meals. What's his favorite? Dessert. She wants to please him. She wants to do all that she can. So she wants to get to know him. Oh, he's an early morning person. That helps me understand. Oh, he does this. Oh, he does. We are now in a covenant agreement, and our desire should be to get to know Jesus Christ. The more you know him, the more you will love him. See, this is what separates a human marriage from a relationship in the marriage with Christ. In a human marriage, it's not a given that the more you know him, the more you love him. 
Because sometimes the more you know him or her, it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know their morning breath was that bad. Ooh, I didn't know they had that weird idiosyncrasy. Ooh, I didn't. That's what happens in human relationships. In our relationship with Christ, the more you know Him, the more you will love Him and appreciate Him. Because there's never, oh, I didn't know He was like that. Because He's perfect. How many of you women married a perfect man? I knew I wouldn't see any hands. We won't ask the men how many married a perfect... It doesn't happen here. But the reality is, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you will value Him, the more you will realize you are perfect in all your ways. And the more you know Him, the more you love Him. But you can only get to know Him through the Word of God. If you neglect the Word of God, you are not going to know Him. You're not going to know Him just through church. It's not enough to just know Him through listening to sermons by other men. You get to know Him by spending time with Him. And it's through spending time in His Word. It's through spending time in His presence in in prayer and and understand, the more you get to know Him, the more you realize, as we were reminded Wednesday night, in case you haven't noticed already, I've had three references to Wednesday night. If you haven't been here on Wednesday night, you should be here on Wednesday night to get some of these things that we're touching on here today. But on Wednesday night, they said, in our relationship with Christ... He brings all the assets, all the good things, and we bring all the liabilities. There is nothing good that we bring to this relationship. And the more we get to know Him, the more we begin to see, Wow, you bring that blessing? You bring that asset? Oh my, I don't bring that to this relationship. And the more you realize that, the more you realize God, amazing grace that you love me. Amazing love, how can it be? See, it's understanding what we bring and what He brings. We bring foolishness. He brings wisdom. We bring weakness. He brings strength. Think about it. In this relationship, we, we bring the weakness and He brings the strength. We bring a heart that is rebellious, that we react against someone telling us what to do, someone directing us. That's the heart that we bring. He brings a meek and quiet spirit. He brings a spirit of submission. We bring bondage and enslavement. We're we're bound by ourselves. We're bound in our sins and our habits. We're bound in our anger. He brings freedom. 
He brings us to this relationship. He, he comes to us. He pursues us. He knows we have all this enslavement. And he says, no, I am committing myself to you in spite of all that enslavement. And I will bring you liberty. I can bring you freedom. That's what he brings. We bring confusion. We, we don't know the beginning from the end. We don't know anything in between. We don't know what is right. We don't know what is wrong from God's perspective. And he brings direction. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is there to direct us. We bring fear and anxiety and, and, uh, uh upset. He brings peace. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are truly blessed. Finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. We bring self. We're pushing self forward. We're concerned about self. He brings a servant's heart. He brings servanthood. Everything about us reeks of death. That's what we bring to this relationship. Our sin, our death. Everything about us is ending, but he brings life, everlasting life, spiritual life. He brings abundant life in this life. We bring sin. He brings forgiveness. That alone, God, here I come with all my sin, and you want to be married to me? You want me? You want me as your bride? And he says, yes, because I can forgive your sin. We bring imperfection. He brings perfection in every detail. So we need to rest and rejoice in his provisions. It's it's understanding, I am nothing but in you. This is what I am. I don't feel that. I don't. Observe it in my life, but Lord, I rest in your provisions. You're bringing all these assets, all these blessings, and you offer them to me in Christ Jesus. So you would think, if we fully realize that, that we wouldn't even have to say the next point here. If he is perfect, if he gives forgiveness and peace, and and he provides this wisdom and direction, why would my heart ever consider anyone else or anything else? But Paul wrote to them and he says, I long for you to be loyal to Christ. Don't let your heart go after other things. Don't let it be drawn away. Satan has always attacked the nature and character of God. And in so doing, from the very beginning, got Adam and Eve to think God was holding something back from them. God was being mean to them. We wrestle with the same things in our minds today. Why did God allow this to happen? Why didn't he do this to me? Why didn't he do this? Why did he do this? God must not like me. All these things are attacking the character and nature of God. And 
even though God is perfect, even though He's given us the perfect groom, even though all of that, our hearts are prone to go after other lovers. Our mind distortedly sees that, oh, this is what will satisfy. Oh, this is what will meet my needs. And every one of us must resist distractions and other loves. Every one of us, in one form or another, in physical life, have observed either personally or from a distance marital unfaithfulness. We've known the sides that have been taken felt the pain that's been involved, but we seldom transfer that to realize that pain, that grief, that sorrow is felt by Jesus Christ every day when our hearts go after different loves. We are in a covenant agreement with him. And in earthly relationships, in most cases, both parties are at fault in it. In this relationship, there is no fault in Christ. And yet our heart goes after all these other things. James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Our nation is as it is today is because as Christians we are, conservatively speaking, double-minded. We're probably quadruple-minded. Our minds are going after many other things, and we come back. Can you imagine if, um, if this summer at a wedding ceremony that I perform, I would say, Joe, do you take Mary... <clears throat> To be your lawfully wedded wife. Do you promise to visit her every Sunday for a few hours and give her some time during the week and maybe even each day to see her? I understand you cannot promise that you will forsake all other lovers, but promise that you will regularly meet with her throughout the week. You would say, that is absurd. That's what we do with Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm doing pretty good. After all, look, we're here today. We're not like all the others out there, heathens, getting ready for a Super Bowl party and this and that. I'm in church today. Are we walking with him is he our love? Is he our life? James chapter 4. James again addresses and he says, You adulterers, he's writing to believers, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you think the Scripture says in vain the Spirit who dwells in us yearns to jealousy? 
Meaning, the Spirit of God is jealous of us when he sees our hearts going after someone and something else, and rightfully so, because we are in a covenant agreement with Christ. It's not just being loyal even, it's being a blessing. God, I want you to know that I will never leave you nor forsake you by your grace. And not only that, I don't just want you to know I'm here. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to make your face smile. I want to bless you. Waiting for the bridegroom. You get to know the groom You rest and rejoice in his provisions. You remain loyal to him. And then lastly, you be prepared. Marriage requires a commitment. It requires being ready. Matthew 25, Jesus Christ gave the parable. The ten virgins, five of them prepared their lamps. They didn't know when the groom would be coming And five of them prepared and five didn't. And he said, in like manner, we don't know when Christ is coming again. A wise person will be prepared. Do you understand? Go back to the Jewish ceremony. Here's here's a young lady and she's already in a covenant agreement with this man. And in their separated For this time, he's gone preparing, and in her mind, she's thinking about her husband-to-be, and she's dreaming about that and planning about that. And and as the days and months, and let's say that, um, generally speaking, it was around a year's time, she understands, wow, any day now, the love of my life will be coming. Any day, any night, I need to be ready. Any, but that was on her heart and mind today, maybe today. And looking and longing and, and making sure she's ready and making sure everything is right and everything is in place and she is ready to welcome and greet him. In like manner also, The coming of Jesus Christ should control our thoughts and our actions. I mean, just think, today may be the day that I am one with Christ. No more battle with the flesh. No more struggle with all these things. I will be one. I will be complete in Him. That's what made... John Wright in Revelation 19, he said, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Can you truly say today, man, my love and my heart's desire is for Jesus Christ. Not just his coming to get us out of here, but I will be made one with him. That's what I long for. John then wrote, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a grand and glorious 
celebration of Jesus Christ being united with his bride, the church. But right now we're in the waiting period. It doesn't mean we just sit back and pursue our own interest and do our own thing. It means we resist the distractions and the other loves and we prepare and we look for his coming. Heavenly Father, I pray today that your spirit would convict us of our adultery. I pray that your spirit would convict us of spiritually being unfaithful to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be motivated with a greater love for you than we've ever had before. I pray if there are individuals here that have never accepted your proposal, never accepted your offer to love us unconditionally, Lord, I pray today they would be brought to this covenant relationship in you. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you're here today and you'd say, I am a believer, but pastor, I wish you'd remember me in prayer that I would love God more. Would you just slip up your hands that we could pray for you? Amen. You're here today and you'd say, pastor, I have never accepted the proposal of Jesus Christ. I've never responded and said yes. But I know that I need to. Would you pray for me today? Would you just slip up your hand that we could remember you in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your patient love. Lord, every one of us has nothing in which we can put forth to say we deserve your love. And even after we have come to know you as Lord and Savior, how our hearts are prone to go after other loves and break your heart, Lord, I pray that we would love you with all our heart. I pray that we would be a prepared bride. And, Lord, that we would have more love to you, I pray.